following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Words have meaning, but in today's culture, Words have lost their meaning. They have been homogenized. And in the scriptures, we come to words, and they have been overtaken by the interpretation that is accepted now by everyone, ignoring the real meaning of the word. For example, what is the gospel? Everyone immediately answers, the good news. The good news that I can have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's not what the gospel means. I want to lay down a principle. And that is that we must look again at the actual words that are being used in the New Testament. And we must lay aside our interpretation of those words and ask, what is the real meaning of that word? We also must recognize, and I know for some this is going to be a very controversial statement, Paul was not our Savior. The Apostle Paul was simply used by God to explain further what Jesus had already taught. And everything Paul taught has to be brought through the lens of the Gospels. In other words, Paul cannot 
dice women in a way that Jesus did not. Jesus never told Mary to be quiet. He never told Mary that she couldn't speak. In fact, he told Mary to go tell the disciples that he had risen. That was a gospel proclamation. But because the church has accepted the Apostle Paul as their Savior, they interpret everything that Jesus said through what the Apostle Paul says. That is simply reversed of what we must do. We must be very clear that the authority of Jesus' words stand firm. And we have to go back and carefully examine what he said and how he said it. Some have said Jesus could not proclaim the gospel because until the cross and until the teaching of Paul, we don't understand what the gospel was. That's simply not true. That's the homogenized gospel that wants to make everything about a personal relationship between me and Jesus. Well, it's important that I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but there's a context into what, into which that must fit, or it's nonsense. It doesn't affect my behavior. So, today I want to take you to Mark, the fourth chapter. Mark, the fourth chapter. And there is our Lord Jesus sitting in a boat out on the lake just a bit from the shore so he could teach the people. And he taught them by using parables. And in his teaching, he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds of the air came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, it grew, it produced a crop, multiplying thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone with the twelve, and the others around him, they asked him about the parable. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The secret of the kingdom of God. Mark is very clear that Jesus came after John the Baptist, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel was the announcement that the kingdom of God had come upon the earth. Now, when I use the word kingdom, I need to very carefully define what I mean. Scott McKnight is a biblical scholar. He gave five basic principles that must be included if there is in fact to be a kingdom. I'd like to share those five basic principles with you today as we look at what is the kingdom of God and then from the framework of what is the kingdom of God, let's look at some of the parables that Jesus taught as he explained to us what the kingdom of God was like. Well, to have a kingdom... Number one, we have to believe that we have a king. We have to believe that we have a king. There is no kingdom without a king. There must be someone who rules. Number two, we have to have a ruler who rules. If we don't have a ruler, if we don't have a king who actually reigns, 
then everything is confusion, anarchy. Now, in the case of the kingdom of God, we do have a ruler, and his name is Jesus. He is our king, and he is our ruler. Now, in this kingdom of God, the very heart of the kingdom of God is the redeeming work that is to go on in that kingdom. The kingdom of God is characterized by the redeeming work of Jesus as he died on Calvary. He was offering his blood as an atoning sacrifice in order to rescue you and me, saving us from our sin. Now, I want to emphasize that point. The kingdom of God is about Jesus Christ ruling in such a manner that you and others like us can be redeemed, and we become then the citizens of his kingdom. He rescues us by his shed blood, and he saves us from all of the kingdom of darkness. We leave the kingdom of darkness, we are rescued out of it, and we are brought by this awesome ruler Jesus into the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Now, third, kingdom always means a people. No king rules over his kingdom where there are no people. The kingdom must have people in it. It means a redeemed people in the kingdom of God. We are the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. We have received the atoning blood of Jesus. We have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light so that we're no longer ruled over by Satan. That's why Mark comes and he describes the coming of the kingdom of God and the and the secret of the kingdom of God by Jesus performing signs and wonders. Never before had any kingdom come upon the earth where the king came healing the diseases of the sick and the dying. Nowhere did a king come raising the dead to life. This is the kingdom of heaven, where men are not only touched in their spiritual life and transformed into the likeness of Jesus, but they're touched in the outward portion of their life and their sickness is healed and they are utterly delivered from the bondage. Nor fourth, for a kingdom to survive, it must have the will or law of the ruler. There must be a clear understanding of the rules of engagement between this kingdom and the kingdom of darkness. We find in the New Testament that the law is not the Ten Commandments. The law is the rule of the Holy Spirit as Jesus indwells us and as we live in Jesus. Now, in doing that, all of the principles of the Ten Commandments will be entirely fulfilled. Number five. To be a kingdom, there must be a land. There must be a place, a sacred place where this king rules, where his word is law. That is the church today. The church today is to be a sacred people, a sacred space in the kingdom of darkness where the light has invaded the kingdom of darkness and the brilliancy of the light of Jesus Christ 
begins to shed abroad in men's hearts as they turn from the darkness and are rescued and are brought into the ecclesia or the called out ones, the ones who are called out of the darkness into the light. So there must be a land. And part of the work of the church in this kingdom is to expel the powers of darkness and take over portions of the earth. And we are to go like salt into the workplace and redeem it for Jesus Christ. In the end, everything on the earth will be brought under the headship of Jesus Christ. And we call this heaven, we call this place that Jesus totally rescues from the power of darkness, we call this heaven. Now, I believe that heaven is a new earth. And we read in the book of Revelation and in other portions of prophetic writings about the great day when Satan will be cast into the fires of hell and destroyed, lose all power, all ability to influence anyone in the heaven. There is the city of God. It is the headquarters of Jesus. So there is a land, and we are now clearing the land of the powers of darkness. Now, please understand, if your only concern is your little individual experience, your emotions, a place where you go to listen to a sermon, to listen to some music, to be inspired, and then you go out and live like the powers of darkness and love the things of darkness, you've totally missed the meaning of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is real, and the day will come when every place on this planet will be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And it's our task now to go out in force to capture and to save and to redeem and to bring men and women into this awesome kingdom of heaven. So if you're spending all of your time trying to earn money, if you're spending all of your time with your enjoyments, you've totally missed what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is literally an advancing army of people inspired and lifted and directed by the Holy Spirit for the redemption of those lost in the kingdom of darkness who will be destroyed if they are not rescued. This is the kingdom of God. And in Mark, he says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. What is the secret of the kingdom of God? It is the reality that every man and every woman must choose whether they will serve the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. And we are being told in this secret that we're being shared with that the gospel brings an organic change in the lives of men and women. It transforms them into the likeness of Jesus. And they now begin a whole new life, a glorious new life in the warfare against the powers of darkness in league with Jesus Christ, being ruled over by their king. Now I share this with you so that you can begin to understand the parable that I've shared with you today that Jesus will now begin to explain. He says, Don't you understand this parable? 
how then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. What is the word? The word is the message about the kingdom of God being ruled over by Jesus Christ. He says some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. That's in Mark 4. But now, please turn in your scriptures if you're following along or jot it down. I want to take you to chapter 13 of the book of Matthew. Listen, this is what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom. In other words, this parable is first and foremost about the kingdom of God. It is not about personal piety. It is not first and foremost about your personal relationship with Jesus. It is instead about the kingdom of God. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So in other words, when the message about the kingdom of God, when the message about it is necessary that you have a king ruling over your life, when you get the message that Jesus desires to redeem your life and he's made provision to redeem you out of the darkness, he desires to rescue you and save you. When you get the message that the kingdom of God means a people who are called out of darkness, who band together in what is known as the church, when you get the message that there is a law of life, it is a life in the Spirit, and I will later spend a great deal of time talking about what that life in the Spirit looks like. But in preparation, you may desire to go and study carefully the book of Colossians. It is rich in speaking about the reality of the life in the Spirit. Now, when this message about the kingdom comes, that there is a beautiful land, a geographic place, and that we are today to begin to flesh out that place and drive out the powers of darkness, even as the children of Israel went into the promised land and began to drive out the Amalekites and drive out the other nations that were utterly wicked before God. We come recognizing that a kingdom must have a sacred place. It must have a people. So when this message comes, if you don't understand the message, if you think the message is just about your little personal relationship with Jesus, if you come and don't understand that you are called to the big picture of the kingdom of God, then the devil will come and he will steal from you the seed that was sown in your heart. This is why the meaning of words is so vital. Because if you hear the gospel message, you hear the message of the kingdom of God, and you reduce it to a comfortable little box that allows you to live day by day as one of the world of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, while claiming that you are changed and transformed, but in fact you are just like everyone in the kingdom of darkness, then you will be lost. There is no hope for you, because Satan will come and steal that seed out of your heart. It will never germinate. It will never grow. 
And one of the reasons it does not grow is that it was put out by the sower, and Jesus is the sower, and the seed fell on the path. The path is that narrow path that is between two fields, or it is the narrow path that is a as a child, I used to run down that was beside the river. A path as hard as concrete. Nothing could grow on that path. Now, I'm sure that if everyone stopped walking on it, after a period of time, the snow and the rain, the elements would begin to soften that path. And weeds would begin to pop up through that soil as the rain soaked it and as the the elements broke it up with freezing and thawing. But if your heart is hard and you've been to church so many times and you've listened to the gospel so many times and you've now reduced it to this neat little package and you're able to go sit down and watch anything you want on television You're able to go to the movies. You're able to follow all the professional sports. You're able to go to the clubs. You're able to commit adultery. You're able to do fornication. You're able to do bitterness and pride and anger and arrogance. You're able to do everything people of the world do. And you've done it over and over and over. Your heart is packed down solid and you will not ever enter into salvation. Now this is a stern warning. The path has to be broken up. The hard soil has to be plowed up. It's a choice that you make whether you will constantly continue to go down this path and harden it and harden it and harden it. There's a great danger in listening to real gospel preaching like you hear on this broadcast because you can increasingly distance your favor for the preaching and the reality of how you live. They must be brought together. When this simple woman I spoke about yesterday known as Holy Anne. When the word of God fell on her heart, her heart was not packed down. She'd never heard gospel preaching. And this piece of scripture penetrated the darkness of her heart. And she went and for the first time knelt down. This wasn't the thousandth time she'd knelt down. Many of you kneel down or don't even bother to kneel, and you go rotating through your favorite prayers. You say the same thing every time. There's no life in your prayer. There are no tears, no brokenness before God. Your heart is hard. It's not soft. It's not pliable. It's not on fire. It's not burning for Jesus. You're in great danger. You're in a very grave condition. As this woman knelt down, suddenly, and she couldn't read, suddenly, written on the back of the chair that she was kneeling at, were all of her sins. And the Holy Spirit brought great conviction to her heart. She broke and wept and confessed. until the Holy Spirit came, changed her, and saved her. Now, she wasn't mature. She was yet very immature. She had no understanding. She'd never been taught the scriptures. She couldn't read the Bible. She'd never heard of a Bible. Growing up, she'd never heard of a Bible. But now... She was not hard ground. She was soft ground. 
and the word of God sprouted in her. And by the time she died, she was recognized for many miles around as Holy Anne. And when people had a problem, they would go to Holy Anne and ask her to please pray for them. And when she prayed, God opened the windows of heaven and poured out an answer. Why? Because she was engaged in kingdom work. Her heart was not hard. She was not calloused. Her heart was soft, pliable, open to the words of the Holy Spirit. Please, most of you today need to forget what you think you know and go back and get the real meaning of the scriptures and humble your heart before God and ask him, Almighty God, teach me by your spirit the way of life. Now, I'm going to come back to this parable later, but I'd like to go now to the parables that Jesus spoke, very short parables, after this parable was finished. I want to do it because they all identify what the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 24 of Matthew, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? Oh no, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. And though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet it grows. It is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. Verse 36 then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him, and he said, and they said to him, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where the will where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, you see, this parable cuts directly across much of the modern teaching in the church. How? Well, Jesus comes and he sows good seed. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. He's talking about the final judgment. Now, listen, no matter what theology you think you believe out of the Apostle Paul, let's hear clearly what Jesus is saying about the judgment, because he is the judge. He is the king. He is the ruler of his kingdom. So if you have misinterpreted what Paul said to go against what Jesus taught, then know that you have been taught by a son of the devil. Listen. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin. And all who do evil, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, this is something that is very conscious. Some of the men and women, boys and girls, who have received the seed of God in their hearts have become a part of his kingdom. And their whole focus is how can I minister in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, to rescue those who do evil? But in the teaching of the church today, they have misinterpreted the Pauline doctrine of justification by faith and said, No, you are justified by faith, and now you can never lose your salvation, even though you continue to commit every sin. Adultery, fornication, lying, cheating, stealing. These lying teachers say there is nothing that you can do that will cause you to lose your salvation. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus very clearly said there will be people in the church who will be possessed of a spirit of darkness. And it's true. And many of those people who are possessed by a spirit of darkness are the false prophets that are spoken of in the Sermon on the Mount. And they come with lying doctrines, telling you that you do not have to turn away. In fact, they say it's not possible for you to turn away from all evil and all sin. But Jesus did not teach that. Now you're faced with the reality. You say, oh, I can't leave my sin. Then you are literally saying that the blood of Jesus Christ is not enough to deliver you into his kingdom. And if you have not been delivered into the kingdom of God, if you've never beat your breast before God and said, have mercy on me, a sinner, if you've never been transformed into his glory, but you are still a part of the church, the day will come when the angels are going to sort through the church and they will throw everyone who causes sin or who does evil, they will throw them into the fiery furnace and there's going to be great weeping and gnashing of teeth because people are going to say, hey, but wait a minute. I was told I didn't have to leave my sin, that I could walk in the wickedness of this world. I could be a part of the world. I could participate in all the things of the world. And as long as I loved Jesus and gave my life to him, I was good to go. Jesus is saying, that's not my kingdom. In my kingdom, there is complete and total deliverance. That's such a glorious message. We have a king, and that king is a ruler, and he redeems, and he rescues, and he saves from the power of darkness, and he destroys all of the devil's work. I mean, what would you think if I told you the kingdom of God has come, and now the kingdom of God is going to do things that are evil? You'll say, what? Wait a minute. Stop, pastor. God's kingdom never does anything evil. And you'd be right. And no one who is a part of the kingdom of God will commit evil. Because on that last day, they will be separated out. And the true believer will shine 
like the son in the kingdom of their father. And then he says, if you have ears, let him hear. Then he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Hear, do you have ears to hear? The kingdom of God will cost you everything. Now, you can pretend that you're a Christian and that everything is fine with you, but if you still love the things of darkness and you're still walking in the ways of the world, you're lying to yourself. Kingdom of heaven, the place where God rules, the place where the blood of Jesus Christ made provision, that place called the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, and when you find it, it will cost you everything to buy it. And you turn away from all darkness. Or again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Have you bought the kingdom of God? Have you submitted to God all of your time, all of your energy, all of your money? Have you given your wife or your husband into the hand of Jesus have you given your children to Jesus? Have you given your job to Jesus? Or do you still have places where you go participate in the darkness? You still go and participate in the things that are evil. If so, you're a weed in the garden of God, in the kingdom of God, and the day will come at the judgment where you will be sorted out and cast out. Again, verse 4, this is Matthew 13, verse 4. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing teeth. To understand, at the last day, at the judgment, Jesus is going to come and look at all of the fish, all of the people who have been caught in the gospel net. And he is going to find in that church evil people, people who have never sold out to Jesus, who have never grounded their swords of opposition to his rulership. Instead, they have enjoyed the social connection. They've enjoyed the inspiration and the entertainment. That is not the kingdom of God. And they will be conscious and awake and with great weeping and great sorrow, they will be tied hand and foot and cast into the fire of hell. Jesus said, Have you understood all these things? Have you understood? Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So let's be clear. There is seed that has been sown in your heart. That seed was sown by Jesus. 
one of his servants that he chose to pass out the seed of Jesus. And when that seed landed on your heart, if your heart was packed down, hard, resistant, the devil came and stole that seed from your heart. So that today you're very comfortable. You think you're saved. You think everything is going along just fine. But the devil came and stole the seed away. So that today you have no conviction of heart. You have no passion for the kingdom of God. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with the kingdom of God? Some of you have sought after Jesus, but you have never won a person for the kingdom of heaven out of the kingdom of darkness. I remember a man getting very upset with me because he could sit and chit-chat for hours with other men about football or baseball. He could travel to games all around the country. He was pleasant to speak with. He engaged in church activities. But he had no heart and had never won one man or one woman, one boy or one girl into the kingdom of God. Because he did not know about the kingdom of God. He thought it was only about my accepting Jesus. I'm saved now. Now I can live my life however I choose. He has been utterly deceived by false prophets and teachers who have taught him that all the gospel is about is my own personal relationship with Jesus. What a travesty. What a tragedy. It is the expectation that every person will work with diligence to help the poor to minister to the sick, and to win the lost. That's the gospel commission. That is what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not simply a word describing my personal piety and my personal friendship with Jesus. It's about a kingdom being established on the earth and the defeat of the powers of darkness. And the good news of the gospel is the announcement that the kingdom has come among us and that we are now to be employed full-time in kingdom work. Tell me, did Gandhi do kingdom work? He did good work. Was that kingdom work? No. Many men and women through the years have done wonderful works of kindness and they've accomplished much. That is not kingdom work. Kingdom work is for the kingdom of God to bring men and women out of their sickness, out of their poverty, to defeat the spirits of darkness and to bring them into the full light of Jesus Christ and have them join together with you in what is called the church, where the gospel is proclaimed and lived and practiced. Now you know from what I've said, this is not happening in America today. It is in very select pockets, but by and large the Christian church today has been utterly deceived. And we've lost the meaning of our words in the gospel. We've lost the meaning of Jesus' words. And we've substituted false interpretations of the Apostle Paul's words. 
if you read carefully the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. In fact, 6, 7, and 8. 5, 6, 7, and 8. Read it, read it, read it. And ask Jesus to teach you what it really means. And you will find there that righteousness, innocence, is never imputed. It is always imparted. In other words, it's not Jesus' righteousness that I don't have. It is Jesus giving me his righteousness so that I am living out the glory of the kingdom of God. Why do I come and spend so much time and energy and money teaching on the radio? It's exhausting. I do it because I'm a part of the kingdom of God. I want it to be built up. Now, if you're interested in the kingdom of God and you're willing to pay the price, I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. We're a house church. We're not big. We're not impressive. We're not into the world. We're into Jesus. If you'd like to come, call me, 703-489-1785. That's 703-489-1785. Now, I'd also like to hear from you. It's been a very slow week. Offerings have not come in this week. We need to hear from you to prepare to pay the radio bill at the end of the month. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, you can also donate online by going to nationalprayerchapel.com. Click on the Give button, and you can give on PayPal. I am so grateful for each of you who has given. Month by month, many of you give the same amount. Faithful like clockwork. All I can say is, my brother, my sister, you are doing the work of the gospel in your giving. You are announcing the kingdom of God in Washington, D.C. And if ever there was a dark place where the kingdom of God needs to be put forward, front and center, it's Washington, D.C. Thank you for the work of the gospel that you promote and help by your offerings and by your prayers. I ask, please pray for me. Please pray for us. We stand by faith. This is a faith ministry. We don't have a large organization backing us up, except we have the kingdom of heaven, the largest of all organizations backing us up. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'm eager to hear from you. Let me know what Jesus is saying to you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.